Rock Rock, two services last night, one at 5, one at 6.30, had a great time. They love the message. And uh, we've had another uh, service in here at 9 o'clock this morning, and they had a great time, and so we are ready for you. We are so glad you're here. Today we're going to talk about when losing control is a good thing. And I want to start by seeing how you respond uh, to the idea of control. And so I've got some phrases that I want to say to you, and then I'm going to have you vote. Raise your hand if you think it's a positive thing or if you think it's a negative thing. So here we go. First phrase is, I'm out of control. Uh, Raise your hand if you think that's a positive phrase. I'm out of control. Okay? Some of you do. Okay? How many of you think that's not a good thing? I'm out of control. Okay? Thanks. Second phrase, I'm a control freak. How many of you think that's positive? I'm a control freak. Okay, some of you do. Uh, Most of you, the issue is not control. The issue is the word freak. Okay, you like the control idea. You just don't want to be a freak. Uh, How about this one? I'm in control of my life. Uh, Who thinks that's positive? I'm in control of my life. How many of you think that's negative? Okay, some of you are thinking, I don't want to play anymore because these are trick questions. Okay, well, anyway. Typically, being in control in our culture is a positive thing, and being out of control is a negative thing. Uh, Remember the old TV series, Get Smart, with uh, Don Adams as Agent 86, and he worked for the spy agency Control, and Control's enemy was the evil spy organization, Chaos, and the good guys were Control, and the bad guys were Chaos. Uh, I always thought it was interesting that they spelled Chaos with a K. Because we all know that words that start with K are more ominous, uh, said someone who's named Kelly. Okay? I mean, imagine if my name were Chelly. C-H, how ominous would that be? Okay. Well, I won't do that one in the next service. <clears throat> Typically in life, though, we like to be in control. But we also do not like to admit that we like to be in control. You know, we like to be in control, we want to control our environment, we want to control others, but nobody likes to admit that they want to be in control, because we just want to be laid back, we want to be go with the flow, easygoing kind of people, in control. Now, why is it we like control? Well, one reason is because control feels good. Uh, It feels better to be in control. Uh, When I feel insecure, I feel bad, and so what do I want to do? I want to be in control so I can feel good. I made a list of reasons why we want control. See if you can identify with one of these, or more than one. Uh, You want control because you're afraid of failure. You want control because you're afraid of intimacy. You only want to let people in so far. You want control because you want others to love you. You want control to feel some power in a powerless world. You want control because you don't trust others. You want control because you were controlled as a child. You want control because you're afraid of what other people will think. And you want control because your whole life is so out of control that you've got to control something or someone just so you can have some sense of control. Now, you may not relate to any of those. Uh, You may have your own list, but... The truth is you're not alone in this struggle over control because the more we control, the better we think we feel. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to feel good. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Unless control replaces something that is more valuable to you. Unless control replaces something that you need more than control. And I want to tell you that control does replace something that you need more. Something that is of more value in your life. Write this down in your outline somewhere. Just scroll it down there. Control replaces faith. Control replaces faith. Because control and faith can't coexist. Now, they're two separate things, and, and you've got to pick. It's either control or faith. And in the pursuit to feel better, it's always easier to go for the quick fix of control than it is to have faith. The problem is when control is our default response, we limit God. When I assume control, I limit God's power in my life. I lose perspective on God's position in my life. Because God is ultimately in control. And I have to have faith that God is in control. So we start today, I want to look at how Jesus responded to faith and to a lack of faith. Uh, There are two times in the Bible when it says Jesus was amazed. Jesus was amazed. One time he was amazed at a lack of faith. The other time he was amazed at a person's faith. So let's look at these. First is in Mark 6. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. Jesus went home. The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. They asked, where did he get all the wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? You know, Jesus is back in his hometown. Everybody knew who Jesus was. And when you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're reading about three years of Jesus' life. These people had seen the other 30 years of his life. They had known him since he was a small child all the way through his growing up years. Uh, They knew that, you know, he was the son of a carpenter. They knew he worked as a carpenter. I mean, everybody in town knew him. Imagine if the guy down the street who grew up with your kids, the guy who built your deck, one day showed up in church, started preaching, and started healing people and raising people from the dead. You would be astonished, just like these people were. And so here's Jesus teaching in the synagogue. Same synagogue he used to toddle around in when he he was a little kid. These are the people who knew him best. They're astonished at his teaching, but their astonishment does not lead to faith. Their astonishment leads to doubt and unbelief. Verse 3 says, He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. You know, saying, he's one of us. He's no better than us. Who does he think he is saying all this stuff? Who does he think he is doing all this stuff? And Mark uses the word they're deeply offended. It means they were angry. They were shocked. They they were in revulsion. Who who is he to do this? Verse 6. Look what it says about Jesus. It says, and he was amazed at their unbelief. He's, he's just amazed. They have no faith. Next story, Matthew 5. Jesus arrived at Capernaum. A Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and racked with pain. 
This Roman officer in the other Gospels, it says he's a centurion. A centurion was over 100 soldiers, century 100. And so the centurions were the backbone of the Roman army. I mean, these were the officers who led, you know, these big groups of men. Very powerful person. And in this day in the Jewish culture, uh, these guys would have been hated by the Jews because of the oppressive nature of the Roman army. But evidently there's something different about this guy. And we know there's something different about him because he came to plead on behalf of his servant. A Roman soldier is not going to plead on behalf of a servant. Servants were expendable. Servants were like property. They were like cattle. Easy come, easy go, get me another one. And yet this guy comes to Jesus and, and is pleading on behalf of his servant. And notice he doesn't even ask Jesus to come to heal him. He says to Jesus, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and racked with pain. Jesus says, I will come and heal him. Then the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know because I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. If I say to my slave, do this or that, they do it. You know, in a word, this guy's whole life is about control. He's controlled by others, and he controls others. He controls situations, he controls decisions, he controls events. But now, his servant is sick, and he has encountered something beyond his control. He can't do anything about it. You know, isn't that what we feel when we face serious illness? You know, even for ourselves or for somebody we love, we're just totally out of control. And as a Roman leader, you think he would have gone to anyone else other than Jesus. Maybe he did. The story doesn't tell us. He may have tried everything else, and it didn't work, and so Jesus is his last resort. But he's out of control, and he's heard enough about this amazing Jesus that he decides to take his need to Christ. And in my mind, I can just see Jesus caught off a little guard with this. I mean, here comes this Roman centurion, this Gentile guy approaching him, with this plea, and Jesus will all come and heal him. And he starts to go to, to the guy's house, and the guy says, no, 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 I'm not worthy. You don't even need to come. Just speak it, and it will happen. And Jesus is like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that kind of faith out of this guy. I, I, I wasn't expecting that kind of respect. Verse 10 says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all the land of Israel. Not even in my hometown. Somewhere on your outline next to this, just write down the phrase, amazing faith. You know, we talk a lot about amazing grace. Well, amazing grace goes hand in hand with amazing faith. That's what this passage is about. You've got people with no faith, and you've got someone with amazing faith. Jesus is not impressed by control. He wasn't impressed that the guy was a centurion soldier. He was impressed by his faith because Jesus always responds to faith. You know, he said, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Because of your faith, it will be done unto you. I love how when you put these two stories together, how they're just the totally opposite. One side, you've got these people who knew Jesus very well, very familiar with him, but they're familiarity caused 
unfaithfulness, unbelief. And then on the other hand, you've got this guy who's paid to be in control, a guy whose whole life is about control, who feels out of control, and yet that feeling causes his faith to flourish. I want to give you something to remember this week, just a phrase. Faith is giving Christ control. Faith is giving Christ control. And I want to encourage you to make this personal, uh, this message personal. And just ask, how does faith impact me every day? How does faith impact my relationships? How does faith impact my work, uh, my home, my school? Now, anytime we talk about faith, there's a typical response that comes up from people. The response is, and I hear this as a pastor all the time, I don't have enough faith. I have too little faith. I don't have big enough faith. This Roman soldier, this guy didn't have a legacy of faith. He, hadn't, he wasn't a spiritual giant. He hadn't followed Jesus for 40 years. He just had simple, sincere, almost desperate faith. And that's the type of faith that pleases God. Another time Jesus was talking about faith and he said, you just need to have seed-like faith. Small faith, like the size of a seed, that's all you need. You don't need tremendous faith, not mountain-sized faith, mustard seed faith. I've got an image that I want you to hang on to this week, and it's an image for faith. And the image is the image of a wallet. And I want you guys, just right now, guys, just take out your wallet. Ladies, if you've got a, a, you know, a hand, a, a, what do you call it, purse, saddlebag, whatever you call it, you know, travel satchel, whatever you ladies carry, just grab a hold of it, just hold it. And some of you are going right now, I knew it, I knew it. I'm going to church, he's going for the wallet. Okay, just relax, because this is not about the money. Okay, this is about value. So take that out and and hold on to it, okay, because this is crucial. For many of us, our wallet has our essentials in it. I mean, I have things in my wallet that are far more precious to me than the money that's in here. In fact, if somebody was to rob me, I I would pull out the money in the one credit card and give it to them and say, here, please let me keep everything else. Because the other stuff in here is far more valuable to me, more precious to me than the money. So it's not about the money, it's about the value. And the point I want to make is, is that your wallet is small but it's valuable. And that's the image of faith that I want you to have. I mean, and do you take your wallet most places? I mean, man, I do. I, I barely take the trash out without putting my wallet in my pocket. You know, I mean, I, it's just with me all the time. Guys, you ever get out somewhere and realize you've forgotten your wallet? And, and you know, w- when that happens to me, it's like I'm not wearing pants. I mean, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, man, I don't have my wallet. And, you know, I'm, I just, and, you know, just play out, you know, what's going to happen? And, uh, you know, you, you want it with you. You know, a lot of times people think of faith and they think, oh, I need to have a Billy Graham faith or a Mother Teresa faith or a Rick Warren faith. I've got to have this big faith. I've got to have faith like, like a big piece of luggage, like a steamer trunk that, that, you know, that I haul around with. You don't take a steamer trunk with you. You don't take big luggage with you everywhere. You keep that under the steps and and drag it out only when you need it. And for too many of us, that's the way our faith is. 
You know, we just keep it tucked away and we only drag it out when we need it. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want, I want you to carry it with you everywhere you go. I want it to be valuable to you. I want it to be precious to you. That's the kind of faith that he's looking for. You know, one of the biggest problems with Christians is, is a lot of times we don't leave home with our faith. We're, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you know, I'm a Christian at home or a Christian at church, maybe in small group. But that faith doesn't enter into the other areas of their life, their, their work, their relationships, their school, their sports, or whatever. And I think one of the reasons for that is we don't get it because we're thinking it's about big. And Jesus says, no, it's about value. And that's the image I want you to have of faith today. I want you to see that Jesus is amazed by a little faith. He's amazed by mustard seed faith as long as it's active, walking around faith. As long as it's with you. It's not about the money. It's about the value. It's about the essential carry-with-us kind of faith. So you can put that away now till the offering. <clears throat> now, a lot of the spiritual discussions that we have boil down to how do we get more faith? Uh, even the apostles, Luke 17, they had a question. One day the apostles said to the Lord, we need more faith. Tell us how to get it. So where do you get more faith? Well, I want to start with the premise that faith has to be developed. Faith doesn't just happen uh, overnight. It's like a muscle that has to be developed. You start with the small little steps of faith, and you just keep doing them over and over and over. And like a muscle where you're doing reps and it builds over time. Same thing's true with your faith. You know, you just begin to build it, and, and you got it with you wherever you go. So let me show you how, how, what it looks like if faith is giving Christ control. Now, these are actual statements of Jesus. I want you to see these as quotes. I'm not saying this. Jesus is saying this. First thing you need to do is acknowledge Christ. And for some of you, this will be a great first step, a great baby step in this process of building faith in your life and letting go of control. Jesus said, if anyone acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will openly acknowledge that person before my Father in heaven. Jesus says, you, you, you've got to acknowledge me. You've got to recognize me, that I'm, I'm Jesus Christ. I am who I say I am. You know, I'm God's Son. I'm your Savior. You've got to acknowledge that Jesus does what he says he'll do. You know, he, he came, he said he was going to die on the cross, rise again, he did. You know, he ascended into heaven, he says, hey, I'm going to come back. He will. I will be with you till the end of the age. He is. He does what he says he will do. He is who he says he is, and we need to acknowledge that. You know, next weekend we're going to be doing baptisms in, in all of our services, and that's, that's what people are doing. They are publicly acknowledging that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and that he does what he says he will do, and they acknowledge Christ. And when they do that, Christ acknowledges them before the Father. And so maybe for you today, you just need to recognize the truth of that by faith. You, you need to give control of your salvation to Jesus. You need to stop trying to, to do it yourself. Stop trying to control your eternal destiny and just acknowledge, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're my Savior. And I, I, I'm trusting you to do that for me. Next thing, follow Christ. Jesus went up to people and said, follow me. Some followed him, some didn't. 
I love the story with the fishermen where Jesus says, follow me, and, and, and it says they immediately dropped their nets and followed him. I mean, they just, you know, boom, 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 off they went. They followed him. And maybe you've been living life on your own terms. There's two ways to live life. I can live life my way. I can live life God's way. I can be in control. God can be in control. Jesus says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition. Shoulder your cross daily and follow me. And maybe you'd say, that's my step of faith. That's my next step of faith. I'm going to put aside my selfish ambition. I'm going to put aside my agenda in my marriage. I'm going to put aside my agenda with my kids. I'm going to put aside my agenda at work. I'm going to put aside my agenda at church. My agenda in small. I'm going to put aside my selfish ambition and I'm just going to follow Christ. You just let go of control and follow. You need to get to know Christ. Why should you get to know Christ? Because Jesus said that the more you get to know him, the more you will trust him. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. You know, Jesus knows you. He wants you to get to know him. He wants you to get to know the Father. He wants you to know that he will lay down his life for you. I mean, would, would you yield control to someone who says, I will lay down my life for you? You've got to get to know him. Because what is it that we're actually putting our faith in? We're putting our faith in the character of God. That, that Roman, Roman soldier, when he came, what was he putting his faith in? He was putting his faith in the character of Jesus Christ. He said, you are worthy. He said, whatever you say, that's what happens. He was trusting in the character of Christ. How do you get to know Christ? Well, the best way is just to read his word. You know, pick up the Bible, read through the Gospels, read about the life of Christ, read the New Testament, see how they responded to the life of Christ, read through the Old Testament and see how they predicted the life of Christ. I mean, Jesus Christ is the theme of the Bible. If you want to know Christ, read this book. Talk to him in prayer. Have conversations with him. Pray to him, let him speak into your life. And I'd tell you, if you want to get to know Christ, get into a small group. Because then you will see the body of Christ. You will get to know the body of Christ. I've been in small groups around here for, for years. Was in, was in one group for 10 years. Uh, started a new one last year, and so we're still kind of getting to know each other. But I've got to tell you, I, I see Christ in those guys in my small group. I, I get to know Christ through that ragtag bunch of guys meeting here on Tuesday morning. It's just amazing. It's the body of Christ. If you're going to yield control and step into faith, you've got to get to know him. Next, you sacrifice for Christ. Jesus said, if you sacrifice for my sake, you'll be rewarded. This is kind of an unusual concept because you, you, you picture sacrifice, you know, you're giving something up. But when you sacrifice for Christ... It's not that you just give something up, you get something in return. You know, the disciples said to Jesus, we have given up everything for you. We have sacrificed everything for you, Jesus. 
what's going to happen to us? And Jesus replied, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times over houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property with persecution. And in the world to come, they will have eternal life. You know, sacrificing for Jesus is kind of an odd thing because whatever you sacrificed, Christ promises to give you in return a hundred times over. But even with the promise of eternal reward, you really can't sacrifice without faith because the sacrifice has to happen first. The sacrifice happens first. The act of faith happens first. And then Christ promises. You know, the sacrifice includes giving up control. And when I give up control and trust that Christ will take care of me, then he does. And my faith grows. Next, I must obey Christ. If you love me, obey my commandments. I mean, you want to increase your faith. That's how you do it. You obey. How do you obey? Well, you trust. You forgive. You love. You do. You do something you don't feel like doing, but you know God wants you to do it, so you do it anyway. You trust. You forgive. You love. You do. Any time in my life when, when I've said, I don't feel like it, I don't want to do that, I don't want to love that person, I don't want to forgive that person, I don't want to do what's right in this situation, but God said it, so I'm going to do it. Anytime I do that, I am yielding control and my faith increases. I want to encourage you to look at that list and just, just right now circle one of these. Just circle the one that, yeah, that's the one that feels like my step. That's, that's the one I need to do next. I need to acknowledge Christ. I need to follow Christ. I need to sacrifice for Christ. I need to get to know Christ. I need to obey Christ. What's your next step? And just circle that and then draw a line up to the top and circle the word faith because it, it's going to take faith to make that happen in your life. Just lasso those two together. Because Hebrews 11 says, so you see, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that there is a God and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Now, I'm going to give you a little tip here. This one is just kind of an aside, uh, just a, kind of an insertion here into the sermon. It's a simple statement that I think can have a huge impact in your life. And, and I'm going to say this, and some of you are going to freak out, but, but I need you to hear me on this. And I don't have time to flesh this out right now. It's just been a, it's been a thought, a concern that God's been laying on my heart for several weeks now, and, and I, just, I just feel compelled that I need to get this out here. And I want you to know we're going to come, come at this again later and, and really deal with this. But here it is. Some of you need to stop trying to control your spouse. You need to stop trying to control your spouse. And you need to learn to trust Christ more. Now, I know some of you are thinking, if I don't control him, he's going to be out of control. 
If I don't control her, this is just going to spiral out of control and blow up. I've got to control them or this is just going to fly apart. But the truth is, you're not controlling your spouse. You only think you are. Truth is, you're not in control, you're in denial. And you need to move out of your denial into faith and give Christ control in your relationship. Stop operating on the basis of control and start operating on the basis of faith. Now, what I'm trying to do in my own life is when I find myself being controlling, you know, when I, when I think, ooh, that was a controlling statement, or, or I'd like to control that, or I'm feeling out of control. When, when, when that sweeps over me, I am trying to just pause right there and say, God, give me more faith. God, give me more faith. Because that's the solution. I mean, imagine what, what life might look like in all these areas of your life. I mean, can you see that faith and control cannot coexist? You've got to choose either faith or control. Little three-year-old girl had a doll that, that she took with her everywhere. They were inseparable. And the cool thing about this doll is, is that it had been handed down to her from her mother, who had actually gotten it from her grandmother. It was three generations had this doll. And by the time this three-year-old got the doll, it was a mess. You know, it was one of those fabric dolls with plastic hands and a plastic head sewn onto the, the stuffed body. And it didn't have any clothes on. The left eye was missing. The cloth body had these mystery stains on it. Stuffing was coming out of the armpit. I mean, it was the ugliest doll on the planet. I mean, it was so ugly that when she would take it with her, uh, other kids would make fun of it. Other dolls would come to life and mock it. I mean, it was, just, it was just so ugly. And so one day, her parents came to the little girl, and they said, let us clean up your doll. We'll put some stuffing in it. We'll sew up her seams. We'll glue the eye back on. We've got some pretty clothes we'll put on it. We'll, we'll make it an actual doll. And and the little girl didn't want to let go of it. She didn't want to give it up. And so her mother and father would talk her into it, and they would show her, this is what we want to do to it, and these are the clothes, and she'd agree. And then when it came time to take the doll, she'd know, and she'd hold on to it tighter. And this went on for, for weeks, and she just wouldn't let go of the doll. And finally, one day, her mother sat down with her. And the mother took the little girl's face in her hands, and she looked deeply into her eyes, And she said, we can't fix it until you let it go. That's what God says to you. He says, I can't fix it until you let it go. So what is it that you are holding on to so tightly? What is it that you are trying to control rather than live by faith? And let go of it so God can fix it. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for another day to be alive. I thank you for a place where we can come and sing and laugh and be with others, where we can learn from your word, where we can learn not to try and live life on our own. God, I would pray that you'd help each of us to recognize the areas of our life where we need to let go, where we need to live by faith and not control. 
And I'd ask you right now in your own heart and life, just whatever that area is right now, to just look to God and hear him say to you, we can't fix it until you let it go. And then by faith, would you just turn loose? Would you just trust in the character of God? Trust that Christ is who he says he is, that he does what he says he will do. Realize you've never been in control anyway. Just been in denial. And it's time to step out in faith and let God do what God does. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.